Most of you probably don't know that Joe's been picking out the songs and helping me out during this time as Pastor Bill's been gone. I think she's been doing a great job, but uh, give her a hand. Yes, absolutely. But I don't think she realized how much the song service goes with the sermon today because uh, today we're going to talk about God being in control. And we're going to talk about how He is sovereign, so that goes along with majesty. And we're going to talk about how He is He's promised us so we can trust Him. Uh, and that goes along with Lifehouse or Lighthouse. And then we can talk about how we can rest in His promises. And that goes with the promises of heaven that we sung about. And so as we speak about this this morning, the main thing we're learning, the main thing we're focusing on, I don't think learning, the main thing we're refocusing on is that God is in control. And so I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Rather than take one passage verse by verse, I'm going to focus on a variety of verses as we get a little further. We're going to read through this passage, but then I'm going to focus on a a variety of verses that kind of remind us of God being in control and kind of remind us of how we need to trust him and remind us of the promises that he's given us. Uh, that can't be outweighed by the burdens of this world. And so it's important to trust God when the things around us seem to be out of control. Because God, even though it is out of control, in our eyes, He is still in control. And so we have nothing to fear. And what He has promised us as His children is greater than what the world has to give us. You know, sometimes we seek comfort in our freedoms and the things that our country gives us and provides us with. But what God promises is greater than that. And it doesn't even hold a candle to what God has in store for us. And I think that once we as Christians in our country begin to understand that, we begin to be reminded and put our focus on how God is in control. And then we begin to trust that and we begin to realize that the promises that he has for us, namely the promise of eternity, the promise of being his children, when we begin to really trust that, I think we can move forward towards a glorious revival. And I think that those are really the aspects that are missing in our country when it comes to that. But we need to let go of the things that we find security in, the things that we find hope, and we need to learn to trust God in the midst of all the things that are going on in this world because there are many things surrounding us that we hear about every day that just burdens our hearts, causes us to be afraid. And I would be lying that if I were to say that I'm never afraid of those things. When I hear about those things, I, sometimes, I be afraid, sometimes I become afraid. Sometimes I become a little angry. And I've tried to distance myself from things like the news because that's not where I want to be. I'm trying to learn, hey, God is all-knowing and he doesn't expect us to be. He expects us to trust him and that he has things in control. And so I want to read through this passage real quick. This is something I think will get us going in the right direction. It's Matthew 10, 26 through 31. So therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetop. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without the Father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, I just pray this morning as we go through this that first of all my words would be what you want me to say and that we would hear from you this morning 
and that we would trust your word, your scripture, and the things that you have promised us, and that you would encourage us and embolden us to live the life that you've called us to live. I thank you for who you are and your promises that you've made for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, in the previous verses of this passage that came before this, is he explaining to his disciples that persecution is coming. He's not saying it might come, he's saying it will come. He's guaranteeing them that it's coming because if they hated him first, they're also going to hate them as his followers. And you know, oftentimes we think that persecution has come in our country for us as Christians, but the reality is, is that we really know nothing about true persecution. We could still meet here publicly um, and, and during the daytime and not have to hide. We can go out in the streets. We can talk to people about Jesus. We may not have everybody like us all the time, but we can do those things for the most part without the fear of our lives. It's not like the church in China where they have to be an underground church and they can't expose themselves to the public in fear of death because of what they believe and what they share. Or it's not like the Middle East where people of Christians over there having their heads cut off because of what they believe and what they proclaim as the, true, uh, the truth about the gospel. It's not like any country that has to hide. We keep hearing about uh, Pandu. Pastor Bill's always telling us about Pandu in India and how thousands of people are coming to Christ. Tens of thousands of people are coming to Christ. Um, and so in spite of that persecution, many of these churches in foreign lands still, to be, still seem to be growing. And I'm not one to say that numbers are an indication that God is moving. That's not what I'm going to say. I don't believe that that is. But when we look at the numbers being growing in these foreign countries in spite of the fact of persecution, I mean, that says a lot. That shows us. That's a sign sometimes that God is moving over there. You know, sometimes growth in our churches in America seems stagnant, even though we don't fear for our lives like they do. Even though when you come here into this building and you get baptized after proclaiming Christ as Savior, you're not guaranteed to walk out there and be persecuted like that. Or, or disowned by your family. You know, there are things in our country that seem to be persecution coming to the horizon, but it's not here yet. For right now, we have it pretty good in this country. And I think we definitely need to be grateful for the fact we have it really well, really good in our country. And really, at this point in time, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, they were not going through severe persecution because they didn't start facing severe persecution until after the death of Stephen in chapter 7 of Acts. That's when they started facing that. They had to scatter. They had to leave Jerusalem because the Jewish people started, mainly the Jewish leaders started persecuting them, hunting them down and putting them to death. Jesus and his disciples, while they were on this earth together, were not always well received. Although they had a good portion of people that did receive them, they were gathering around to hear what Jesus had to say. They weren't always well, well received by everyone. Um, and just like Christians in our country aren't always well received by everyone. But at this point, they were not facing severe persecution. And neither are we in our country. We might think that sometimes, but we're not. But to summarize the passage of what Jesus just said and what we just read, within the verses we just read, Jesus is telling them that persecution is coming, first of all. Don't be afraid. Proclaim the good news. Fear God rather than man. God is sovereign in the life and death of even the sparrows. He knows everything. We are valuable to him more so than the sparrows. So do not be afraid. 
That's what Jesus is telling his disciples, and he's trying to encourage them. And, and once he was raised from the dead, they were encouraged. They were emboldened by the Holy Spirit to live for him. In essence, God is sovereign. He is in control. We are his children. We have nothing to fear, not even death. But so many of us as, as Christians in this country are angry, we're afraid, we're bitter, we're depressed. And we have to ask the question, why? If we have the same promises that they had, and they found joy, and they went out and shared the gospel, why? I think it's a variety of reasons. I think we keep hearing from the news various things every single day that terrify us when we set our minds on them. Um, we hear the thoughts of people passing laws that are against Christians. Uh, so persecution could come to us, but it will threaten our comfort when that does happen. It will threaten our freedoms when that does happen. Those things will be threatened. Where are we going to stand when they are threatened? Who are we going to trust in when they are threatened? Are we going to become overburdened with fear? Or are we going to trust in God? Those are the questions we all have to ask ourselves when we look into the future. And perhaps we shouldn't look into the future very long uh, because that's when things kind of go south. Um, but I think there's a variety of reasons. I think we worry about our freedoms. I think we spend too many hours thinking about and getting frustrated over the things that we might lose. And I think it's really a combination of all of those things. But I think a big reason is, is that we forget as Christians that this place is not our home. The USA is not our home. It's not permanent. It's not going to be forever, which is good news, by the way, because this world is so imperfect. If we trust in this place as our home, we're going to be miserable for most of our lives because things always go up and down and up and down. God has called us to more than to live comfortably in a place that ultimately will end. Ultimately, this place will end and we have no control over that. We're often focused on the temporary instead of the eternal. God has promised us eternity. But we settle and focus on what is less than eternity. The disciples abandoned the idea of making Israel a great nation again once they realized what God's promises were and what his intentions were to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. The life that he called them to was greater than what the world could produce as far as comforts and freedoms and power. So they may not have understood that at the time. I, I guarantee you, they didn't, especially when Jesus was telling them all these things, they didn't understand that at the time. But after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, they got it. I believe they got it. But I think so many of us as Christians in America today don't get that. We don't seem to understand what Jesus has really promised us. The church in China gets it. The church in the Middle East gets it. And many other heavily persecuted Christians in the world get it as they give their lives for it. They're not worried about building their country into a better place or any of those things. They understand that this place is not their home. I think we fail to get that sometimes. We want things to be like they used to be. Odds are they're not going to be like they used to be. But what is coming is far greater than the way that things used to be. I think that when we realize something greater in our country will happen, maybe not what we see as greater right now, but greater than what we could expect, revival and awakening. But first we need to remember that God is in control 
And then we need to lean on him and trust in him and find joy and peace in what he has in store for us. And then once we've found that hope in him, not anything else that's going on around us, but what he's promised us and what he has in store for us, then we need to live the lives that he's called us to live. And I think that that's how many of us as Christians in this country we're so consumed and distracted that we're not doing that. So, so first of all, I'm going to go through a series of verses. They're going to be on the screen, so I don't expect you to turn to all of them. Um, we're going to focus on some promises in the Bible that let us know and remind us that God is in control. And so we're going to start with Job chapter 12, verse 10. The life of every living thing is in your hand as well as the breath of all humanity. Job 42.2, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Psalms 22.28, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. Proverbs 16.9, a person's heart plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 19.21, Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Proverbs 21.1, a king's heart is like the channeled waters in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. Isaiah 14.24, the Lord of armies has sworn, as I have proposed, so it will be. As I have planned it, so it will happen. Jeremiah 32.27, look, I am the Lord. The God over every creature is anything too difficult for me. Daniel 2.21, he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and the knowledge to those who have understanding. And then finally, Psalms 46 verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, that last one, Nova's currently learning. She's doing a pretty good job of be still and know that I am God. It's a good promise for us. So what's within these promises? What's the essence of these promises? First of all, God is in control of all life, of all living creatures. God can do anything he wants and no one can stop him. He rules over rulers. He is in control of the outcome of our plans. You know, sometimes we think that we're in control over the outcome of our plans, but we could walk out of this building and whatever plans we have could not be accomplished. We have no control over that. But he's in control of our plans. His decrees will prevail over our plans. Whatever he plans will come about. Nothing is too difficult for him. He has control over the seasons. He gives all wisdom and all knowledge. He is God and we are not. So so we should quit trying to control things that's going on around us and just be still. Just be still. I think that that's the main thing that all Christians have to learn in life. Every day. I mean, we can be sure of him and have faith of him one day and the next day something comes our way and we have to continually learn that. It's not just a one time and you're done. We have to be continually reminded that we need to be still and trust in God. But this list of verses tells us that our attempts to fix and control things to get, worked over, to get worked up over things when things don't go our way is not useful. It's not helpful for us to dwell on things that God only has control of. It's not helpful for us to get angry and bitter and depressed and afraid because of the chaos that's going on around us. God has this. 
He's in control. To be consumed by our feelings and our emotions means that we're doubting God's sovereignty in this world. It's to disregard what God has revealed to us about his authority and his power over all things. And it's arrogant for us in our actions and our outrage to think that we can intervene in things where God only has control. I mean, he just, I, those list of verses, he's telling them, I'm the one that's in charge. This is why we seek God and trust his will and his judgment, even though everything around us seems to be falling apart. If the weather is out of our control. Personally, I wouldn't have liked it as hot this week, but it's not out of God's control. Um, whether our hearts continue to beat or our lungs continue to draw air, that's out of our control, but ultimately it's not out of God's control. Who the president is of our country is out of our control, even though we may vote and, may, may vote and win or lose, but it's not out of God's control. Dictators that rise up against humanity may be out of our control, but they're not out of God's control. And so we will burden ourselves without necessity if we seek to worry and to fear and anger over the things that are happening around us. And it's not just big things that are happening all over the country. Sometimes it's just in our day-to-day -day lives. When things don't go the way we want them and we get worried and stressed out, I have many of those days, more days than I care to admit, where I've, just, I've taken my eye off and I've set my mind on the problem that I'm dealing with and it causes me to be anxious, it causes me to be afraid. When it seems that all things are out of control, it's guarded by the sovereign hands of God. So this means we can, we can and we must let go and trust that God knows what he's doing because he does. And so we've got another set of verses here. Um, so as we learn that God is in control, we focus on God is in control, we need to trust that he's in control and put our trust in him because he's in control. And so here's some verses to follow along with on the screen. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to those who have been anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalms 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalms 118.6-7 The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. And finally, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And really that could have went to where God is in control, but I think as a response to hearing how we should trust in him, we need to know that what we think and the way we see things isn't the way that he sees things and things. And so the promises that we find within those verses is that God will keep us in peace 
if we trust him. God will not allow us to be anxious if we trust him because our minds are set on him and the fact that he's in control. He is with us wherever we go. He is our light, our salvation, our stronghold, and we have no one to fear. He will strengthen us, he will help us, and he will uphold us. We have victory over our enemies because God is on our side. And he knows more than we know. He sees more than we see. And he is more capable of dealing with the chaos and the destruction and the evil that surrounds us than we are. And so the thing to do there is to let go. To let go. He's more capable of dealing it with than we are. If we want peace, we trust God. That's what God's telling us. If we want perfect peace that he can give us, we trust God. That's what Paul tells us to have peace that surpasses all understanding. We turn to God in prayer. We give him our problems. We give him thanks. We set our minds on him and we receive a peace that surpasses all understanding. So we need to let go of our fear and our anger. We, when we see things that are happening around us that are moral issues, moral declines, people who are corrupt in our government, all of those things, we need to realize that God is not unaware of those things. But when we find ourselves angry, when we find ourselves afraid and depressed and anxious about those things, about what's going wrong, it's because we are not trusting that he is aware and in control. We're listening to the wrong voices. And there's too many voices out there right now telling us what we should think. But worst of all, our fear and our anger and our anxiety that we express makes God out to be a liar. He's made us these promises, but when we're running around with fear in our hearts and being angry about the things we have no control over, it makes God to be out to be a liar that he's not worthy of trusting. And so the reaction of many Christians displays that. That's what it says about God. If we can't be still when everything seems lost, then others around us who are not children of God uh, will not be led to trust in God either. Like they're looking to us to see what's different about us. And if we're not trusting God and being still in our lives, they won't be led to either. But if we can learn to trust God, that he is in control, we can learn to find peace and joy in the promises that he has given us as his children. And so finally, we acknowledge that God is in control. We trust him. We will have peace and joy as we lean into the promises of what he's given us. Um, and so here are some verses on what he's promised us. And these are the last set of verses, but some verses on what he's promised us through Christ. And so follow along on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. But to, all who have, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 5, verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 through 12, this was according to his eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. 
So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what, with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. First John two twenty four through twenty five. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made us, eternal life. 1 Corinthians 2.9 But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor eye, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And so these are the verses that, um, that give us promise into what God has given us. So first of all, we're his children. That's what these verses are saying. We have not received a spirit of fear. We have access to his grace because of what Jesus has done and have hope and can rejoice because of God's glory in our lives. We experience God's love that surpasses all that we could understand. We have eternal life. This place that we live in is not our home. It's not it. There's more to come. The best is yet to come. And God is currently working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Both the good and the bad, the order and the chaos, God is bringing all those things together for our good. And one day we'll experience that perfect goodness in heaven. So as... As his children, he loves us more than we can even imagine, even though we're not always good at loving him the way that he loves us. But he has called us, he has not called us to be afraid as we see the things that are going wrong in our lives, but to rest in the promises that he has control and is working all things in the midst and what he has in store for us is greater. But sometimes I think as Christians, we place more hope in the here and now instead of what's to come. And we're so caught up with the things that we might lose in our country that we miss the truth that the most important things that God has for us cannot be taken away by man. Even if we're to lose our freedoms, God's freedoms, which outweighs all other freedom the world can give, is his promise to us. And Paul tells us not to fall back into slavery of fear, but I think many of us can become slaves to fear in this country. We let it control us. Or slaves to anger, because we can become slaves to anger, which is really rooted in fear. So we often say that God's in control. But when we look around in the climate of the church in our country, just in general, I'm not saying it's here, I'm not saying it's all here, although I'm sure there's many within us that get consumed by fear and the things that are going around. But as we look in the climate of overall how Christians are acting, you see some anger, you see some hatred and fear and depression that's amongst many Christians. As we look at that, it displays that many of us are not believing that God is in control. It's marked by fear, anger, division, and hatred at times. And so there's a difference between knowing something, knowing the verses that we read that God is in control and letting that guide our lives as we trust in it. Fear should not control us. God's promises should control us. God's promises should give us joy and hope for tomorrow. That we know that this isn't it. That we know that if even everything goes wrong in this country, we still have hope. 
God being sovereign has implications in how we react when the things that go around us are full of chaos. Seeking God's face should be our compass in this life. We should turn to him to try to find out what direction to go. But oftentimes the direction that we turn to to find where we should go is the news and things like that. We have too many people whispering fearful things in our ears. And then we wonder why so many Christians are full of doubt. There's no government leader, there's no politician, there's no president that can give us the hope that only Jesus can. I think one of the worst things is is that when we focus so much on what's going on around, we focus so much on what the fear is in our lives, that it kind of draws us away from what God has us here for. I don't think we can focus on both. We can't focus on living for Christ and, and worried about everything else at once because it draws us away from what God has for us. And so we have to put the distractions aside. We need to pray and we need to seek God's face. We need to find boldness in our strength and hope in him, knowing that he is in control and he has all the answers. We need to find joy in the promises that he's given us and live the lives that he has called us to live. These are the elements of revival. When we seek God's face and turn away from trusting in other things. You know, we often say we want revival. Um, But what is revival? Revival is not when God puts everything around us back the way it used to be. It's not when God changes the hearts of the people next to me. It's when God draws my heart and your heart back to his, what he says is important. It's not what everybody else is saying is important. It's what he is saying is important. And so that's really the the thing that we're at today is to ask ourselves within our hearts, what are we trusting in? Are we trusting in, in, in a In a world that's going to get better, we're hoping that everything around us gets better. We're hoping that all the problems in our lives just go away and that we can can have comfort. But God doesn't promise us that we're going to have easy lives. And I think that's the whole point of all of this. When he's telling the disciples that persecution is going to come, he's not telling them you're going to have easy lives, you're going to be comfortable, you're not going to have to worry about things. And many of us in here know that. Many of us in here have faced things that have caused our lives to be disrupted. But what he's telling us is that I have you here for a reason. I have you here so that you will be a light to the world around you, so that you will spread my kingdom into this world. And I think that's the most important thing that Jesus tells his disciples, and the same thing that he tells his disciples is what he wants us to be doing. And the whole idea behind this sermon is that when we get caught up in the things that we're scared about, we get caught up in fear, we get caught up in anger and and being angry because everything around us is crumbling. It's going to, it's guaranteed to. That's what Christ has told us. In this life, you will have troubles, but take courage because I've overcome the world. That's the promise that Christ has given us. But if we're consumed by everything that's going wrong, we can't trust that promise because we're not listening to him when he says, take courage, take heart, because I've overcome the world. And so that revival, you know, we hear about revival Um, happening in these college campuses and I think that's an amazing thing and I'm hoping that that fruit lasts for a while but I'm also realizing that the greatest thing the element of revival is when we look within and we realize our, our hearts lined up with what God says is important 
Because if they're not, then we won't experience that revival. A lot of times we want to see awakenings, but I think awakenings often happen after revivals where we've gotten right with God first. God's priority is not this world, it's not this country, it's us, it's our hearts as his children. And so, I know that that's a little heavy this morning, um, but we live in urgent times. We all know that. We don't have to look too far to see that there's problems everywhere. But we're called to live God's righteousness and focus on his kingdoms over our own kingdoms. And when I say our own kingdoms, I mean like what we have planned in our lives, the things that we hope to accomplish in our personal lives, but also the things that we want to happen around us, that he's called us to his kingdom, his righteousness, instead of focusing on those things. Because all things that we know, the way that we know things are, is going to end. And we can't be the light that God has called us to be if we're consumed by fear and the fate of our country or the fate of the world. We must set our minds and our hearts on God and let his truths guide us to where we're supposed to be. And we must let his righteousness and his kingdom be on display through our lives. That's what we're here for. It's so easy to forget because there are so many distractions in our world that's telling us this is what life is about. You know, do this instead of doing this. And it's so easy to be comfortable. I know I find myself in my own life being comfortable more than I wish I would. And I'm not always seeking God the way I wish that I would. But that's why we're here. Together, to come together, to worship God, to put our minds on Him, and take our minds off of everything that's going on around us that's causing us to turn away from Him and get frustrated. You know, I've learned the one thing, especially working with youth. Uh, When I first got here, and and for most of the time, uh, our teenagers were so rowdy. They're so full of chaos. They would not listen to a lesson. They weren't paying attention. And I learned that, that as I could look around while I'm trying to teach a lesson and I almost can't get through it because they're not paying attention, I'm looking around and I see maybe like a few people uh, setting up front and they're just listening while the rest of them are creating chaos. And I'm realizing like I can focus on all the things that are going around, but if I focus where God is moving and I focus on what God is doing, then I can invest my time in that. But if I focus on all the chaos that's around and they're disrupting the class, well, that overwhelms me. It makes me feel like I failed. It makes me feel like I can't do anything right. And then I just kind of want to give up. There's a lot of times where I just kind of wanted to give up, if I'm being honest. Um, But that's what it does. And it's the same thing in life if we're focusing on all the chaos around. And we're looking where Satan's moving. Because if we're looking where Satan's moving, we can't look where God's moving. You can't do the same thing at the same time. But when we look for where God's moving, and when we find where God's moving, and we seize those opportunities to get involved in where he's moving, well, then that's a whole different thing. You'll find more joy in that than you will in focusing on the things that are going wrong. I guarantee you. When I started kind of realizing that on a Wednesday night, like I started to find more, a little more hope Uh, to keep going and keep trying because someone's listening. Someone needs to hear the gospel. Someone is getting a seed planted. And then the past couple years have been kind of nice. They've kind of calmed down quite a bit. But um, the whole point is that. The whole point is that, is that God has called us here for a reason and for a purpose. And if we, man, if we get distracted by the things going on, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. We'll miss out on what God has for us here because yes, there's heaven, and heaven's going to be great. I look for, the more I realize how messed up this world, the more I look forward to a place that's the complete opposite of this. 
But right now, right now he has us here. And right now he has us on a mission. Jesus tells us to share the gospel. He tells us to spread his kingdom and to live in love. I think that's missing among a lot of us as Christians. It's just living in love. That when people are around us doing the wrong things, it's, the tendency is just to get angry or frustrated with them. But to live in love, no matter what the circumstances may be. And that's, that's why we're here. Not for any other reason, but it starts when we realize that God is in control. I believe that's the first step because if we don't believe that he's in control, we're not going to turn to him. You know, if we're, we're turning to all these other things for hope and if we're not believing that God's in control, we're not going to turn to him. Um, and as we turn to him, we begin to trust in him with our lives, trust in him more and more. That's a process. It doesn't happen all at once. We have to learn to trust him. Um, and we rest in his promises that he's given us because he's given us some good promises. This life is not it. This is not all of it. This is, we get so much more because of what Christ has done for us. And uh, then we realize those things after we've sought his face out and we've trusted in his authority and sovereignty. Um, we begin to do the things that Christ has called us to do. I don't think we'll do the things Christ has called us to do until we do those first two things until we realize he's in control and trust him. And so this morning, I would encourage you just to look into your hearts. I have to look into my heart as well um, to see, are there things in our lives that's causing us to be afraid? Are there things in our lives that's consuming our attention and taking our mind off of what God wants us to focus off of? Because in a world full of fear, we as Christians who belong to Christ are supposed to be still and know that he's in charge. So we'll do that in this moment of prayer. Um, take a little time to pray within your hearts and then I'll close this off.